Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. to Learning Made Easier. You're listening to our Teaching in Transition episodes, which outline how teaching has changed and has to change as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. We were calling these the COVID-19 special episodes until we realized we were mainly talking to teachers about how our lives and professions have changed. That is, teaching is now in transition. In these episodes, Adam and I unpack some of the major issues teachers are facing due to the changes required by the pandemic, as well as ways to deal with these issues. This is our 20th episode in the series, Inequities We Don't Notice When Your Institution Requires Synchronous Video Teaching. Now, Denor and I have talked about this repeatedly in past episodes where we've really emphasized you know, do not do this. Do not do synchronous teaching. It exposes so many problems. It causes so many problems. But there are administrators and even professionals who really, really feel that synchronous video teaching should be as close as possible to the way we did it when we were all in the classrooms. So Denor and I are going to list three things that are really revealed by the fact that we have to now teach synchronously. Many of our many of our institutions are not allowing us to say, we're not gonna have an in-class meeting. Some institutions are saying, yeah, you're gonna do asynchronous if you want. You could choose whether you're gonna do asynchronous or synchronous, but some faculty are being forced into teaching synchronously. So three major things our students face when we go synchronous, where we all have to still meet at the same class times, but now we're all meeting from our homes on Zoom or on Google Hangouts or on, uh, what was it, Microsoft Teams, are device availability, space availability, and frankly, a lack of privacy. So when it comes to device availability, yes, some schools offer loaner laptops or loaner Wi-Fi hotspots or both. My institution does this. but. There are often far more students enrolled than there are available devices to loan out or rent out. And this would be tough enough for a student living alone. But if they're in a home with three or four or more people who all have to share the same computer or they all have to share the same tablet and they all have to share the same internet connection, then it means everyone gets less time. And classes mean part of the household is shut out from using that device. So what do you do? If a student has a sibling or siblings or children or partners who also need to be online for their own classes, what if it's at the same time? What do you do if two or more siblings are all taking classes on Zoom and that causes the internet to lag or drop? I mean, for me, I know that I have to tell my husband when I'm online with my students from my home, if I'm in there and I've got my office hours running, he can't be on World of Warcraft or anything else that's a big internet heavy hog because I need that bandwidth. Now, take my problem, which is just the two of us, and multiply it by having a kid at home or several kids at home or living with roommates who also need to get to their jobs or also need to get to their own classes. This creates a big problem 
that until we all had to go online synchronous was mostly papered over with the existence of dorm rooms and computer labs and Wi-Fi on campus. Many of our students who had access to those things don't have access to them anymore. Space availability. Okay, your student does have access to a tablet or a computer, but they're still sharing living space with the people they're potted up with. This means their space might not be especially quiet during business hours because, shockingly, we know other people are living their lives and cannot pause absolutely everything just because of our classes. How dare they not know that we are the most important thing in that house, right? Except, how dare we not know that they are the most important thing? And this means that if you insist on students having their webcams on during lecture, you're forcing them to show people in their household that they may not want to have on camera. And these people don't necessarily want to be seen by classmates or professors that they've never met. And they might be uncomfortable with being seen or heard. Voices and images carry. And I had this happen just, just recently. I was holding an online class open meeting and I had a student come in. And I'm not sure if it was a partner or just someone else living in the house, but they were walking around behind her the entire time we were talking. And some of the examples I had to give in order to explain a particular issue in the class, I saw her wince a couple of times. And I'm like, are you uncomfortable with the person behind you overhearing these examples? But I couldn't ask that because that would have involved the other person. And my job was to pretend that there was no other person. And that kind of goes right into the third issue, lack of privacy. You know, the space availability issue. We can't assume that our students have a physically available, quiet space each and every lecture that we have to give, because odds are they're living with a family or roommates and they have to share some limited space. And in addition to the being seen problem, voices carry. They can be overheard online. Of course, there are amusing times, like uh, in one of our pandemic groups, a, a person posted recently, so I was teaching my class and my cat horked behind me and it was very loud and all the students heard it. And then I had to stop the class and go clean up the hork and it was just so embarrassing. And, uh, and then everybody started chiming in with all of their own experiences on that lack of privacy thing. One woman said, my toddler walked in and said, mommy, I pooped my diaper in the middle of me giving a class on cell biology. And so I had to tell the students, this is also part of biology, I'll be back. And then I had to pause them because diapers don't wait for two hours while the lecture is going on, right? And so the problem is that these three things, the, the, the lack of devices, the lack of space, and the lack of privacy, we all tend to assume that if a student is a college student, they must have at least a middle-class existence at home. And that is becoming increasingly obvious that it is not true. Denor and I were part of a chapter that Stacy Smith, who was in our first episode where we interviewed, she was episode 10, she wrote a chapter for a book on the sociology of COVID-19, and it was all about these hidden inequities. And it is not something we can just ignore, folks. I've had students apologize when you can hear kids in the background, and I find that weird because they're living together. I really don't expect the kids to be kicked out of the house just because you have a class. We learn to live with a little extra noise. It, if nothing else, we get to see our students in a new role. They're not just students. Maybe they're older siblings. Maybe they're parents themselves. 
Maybe it gives you a chance to bond with your students a little bit and say, hey, I've also had these experiences. Sometimes those commonalities go a really long way. Now, typically, most of my students keep their cameras off during lecture and I'm great with it. I'm not gonna ask them, I'm not requiring them to turn the cameras on because I figure maybe they don't want me to see where they live. Maybe they don't want their classmates to see where they live. And that's a consideration that we all have to make. Adam said that there's this assumption of the middle-class upbringing and we really cannot assume an ideal living situation for our students. And we certainly cannot assume an ideal learning environment. And we talked about device availability and the internet. I had the internet drop out during today's theory class. It's not the first time it's happened. And I know it's happened to some of my students. And when my students re-enter the room, I'm like, I was today, there's this embarrassment. You wanna feel apologetic because you feel like you're intruding even though it's a classroom and we're all at home. So whenever my students are late or they drop, I'll try and private message them and I'll tell them, welcome back, I'm really glad you made it. And I mean it because it can be super frustrating when the internet is spotty during the lecture. And if a student feels bad about missing class, then why should I as their professor make them feel any worse? I'm happy that even though it's probably not their day, it's a little frustrating, they care enough, at least about the grade in the class, to try and come back. Spotty internet isn't their fault. It's not our fault. Looking at you, Charter Spectrum. But it is an inequity that we have to be aware of. Some students might have siblings. They might have kids who have class that overlaps with our classes, and there is only one computer in the home. If that happens, I'll tell my students, listen to the lectures that are recorded, get notes from some of your classmates, and meet with me on Zoom. Ask me questions. That way you can get clarification, you can discuss the material more, whether it's during my office hours or an appointment outside of it. We're going to find a way to make sure that you can understand the material that we're covering in class, even if you can't make it because there's not enough internet or not enough computer to go around. I've had students who've had noise in the background that they can't control. They're zooming in from their family's kitchen because that's the only place with a table and a plug and the noise level is loud. So I just ask them, can you put on headphones so you can hear me and mute yourself to kind of reduce the noise in the class? And I also tell them they can shut off their video if they want to so that they don't have to worry about everyone else in the Zoom room listening in on their family's dinner prep. And that's just one example, of course. We all know that there are people who are now zooming in from a bathroom or from a closet because it's the only quiet space they can find. So these inequities are ethical issues, and we do need to talk about the ethics. The ethics of the issue center around who should be educated and how. To assume students all have access to a device, consistently strong internet, privacy, and a quiet space for each and every class assumes they're middle class or upper class, and that does a really big disservice to working class students. Our ethics should be to open our classroom to all of the students who are enrolled, regardless of their wealth. And while having access to a computer is more or less assumed, we cannot assume unfettered access to this computer. We cannot assume a lot of space and a lot of quiet time for each and every one of our students. It's on us as instructors and as schools to make learning accessible and available to our students. 
and the ethics of kindness, compassion, and equity, these should be our primary concerns. They should be our northern light. Most of us are transitioning to a new form of teaching and a new form of learning. And just as we are stressed by these and other changes, we need to consider that our students are probably stressed too. They feel like parts of their life that they could leave behind when they were on campus are now around them constantly. And the best that we can do as teachers is to be kind, forgiving, understanding, and compassionate. And that means rigor can't be rigid. It means we've got to be less strict about rules. We've got to adjust our mental frameworks to seeing where our students need help and new ways of working with our students. New things, yes, they can be scary. Hi, I'm autistic. I hate new things. But these are also chances for us to treat our students not as underlings, which is way too common even in higher ed, but as equals. They're human beings. They're people. We need to treat them like that. I mentioned that I've had the internet drop. I've had students with spotty internet access. They've not had a lot of quiet space because you can hear a baby or a toddler or someone else in the background during lectures. And what I'll tell my students is kind of like Adam, you can mute yourself and that way there's a little less noise going on for everyone. You can unmute to ask a question, but you can also use the chat functions to reply to me or to ask questions. And that's another form for them to protect their privacy. Now, I do offer synchronous lectures for the students who can make it, but I'll either record that lecture and post it to the learning management system, or if I've pre-recorded material, I'll post that to the learning management system so that students who cannot make my class at that time can still catch up with the material and they're not completely lost about it. Also, let's talk about control for a minute because many of us are control freaks. If a student's internet drops, I have to assume they didn't have control over that. If they had loud noises in the background, I doubt that's under their control either. And I have to recognize, and this is hard, I admit it, for many of us, this is really hard, that a lot of this stuff is also out of my control. We have got to get away from the idea that our main job is to police and control our students because it's not. And I know that may be really hard for some professors and some K-12 teachers because you've been told that you all by yourself are responsible for these kids learning or not learning. And that is not true. There are at least four or five other parties who are also somewhat responsible for their learning. It's not just you. I know I read about a study that said only about 10% of a student's learning in the K-12 system is based on what their teacher does or doesn't do. When you're teaching online, even if you have to teach in real time, your ability to control is reduced. You can either stress over that or you can embrace it. And I recommend embracing it because now you can hand some of that control over to your students and you can encourage them to learn how to manage their own learning instead of constantly depending on you for by the minute guidance and by the minute assistance. A way to think about that is when we're in the classroom, we're all sharing that same physical space. It's a neutral meeting ground. Now, our stage that we're on, it's changed. We're now on a computer screen via Zoom, and we're in each other's homes. However much of that stage you feel comfortable with, that's how much you can expect your students to, if not less. Some students don't want to be seen. 
Some students will use a virtual background to hide where they are, and that's totally fine. Some students don't turn their cameras on, and we have to be okay with that. But for teachers, if you have to record synchronous lectures, then record them and put them on the learning management system. Let your students listen to the lectures as they are able to, depending on who they're sharing the home with, depending on caregiving obligations, depending on work obligations. Now, schools may mandate that attendance be taken, but generally they don't tell you how to measure it. So one possibility is create discussion board questions focused on that week's material. And that way students can be in class, even if their internet drops or they're unable to attend the synchronous video lecture, as long as they answer the discussion board by a certain day and time. So that's what we have for you in this Teaching in Transition episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who may be facing these issues. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon, so it's patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And if you're able to support us right now on Patreon, we'd really appreciate it. Please join us next time for our next Teaching in Transition episode 21, where Adam and I talk about how to work around your school requiring real-time lectures on Zoom. And we'll see you then. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.